welcome to Sports and More with HTC. Tonight we have Hilly and Teabag. Hilly has our three-point rundown. All right. Tonight we're going to cover uh, the Pacers and uh, their future with Paul George. Uh, going to go over the Bulls and Celtics series that's going on. And uh, big news in the NASCAR world today. Uh, Dale Jr. announces his retirement after the uh, 2017 season. So... Oh. All, right. Three and go from there. all right Hilly, great sounds like uh sounds like a good show we got going on here so we'll start with our first point we have uh paul george and his future at indiana um now i know that paul george has never really hid his aspirations you know his future plans to play for the lakers he's always been open uh about about his plans with his teammates about wanting to go but back home and play in LA so it's not like it's a big secret I think it's just kind of one of those things where we have to figure out can we surround him with talent that can help him win or does he already have his mind made up and he's gone yeah I like I said we talked about this before too and I think we're kind of staying the same on that topic is far as you can't fault the guy i mean he wants to win and he wants to you know he wants to win now and he doesn't now granted i you know i know he's you know wants to go to los angeles i know he grew up or played ball there whatever it is but i just can't see him winning out there so maybe that part of it i don't understand but i do know uh that this may be a factor i think his contract's up at the what next uh or uh into next season, I think so, or whatever. It is. Well, he can opt bit, out. He has, he has a player option where he can opt out this season, um, but it okay. it expires. Is like it his, a player option or is it, is it team option? It's a player option. Player option, I got you. Because I, I did read a thing today where it said if he makes the, the all-NBA team, that the Pacers you know, could very well offer it. It was up to like 60 or $70 million. So, you know, that may increase the odds definitely of, of right. staying in Indiana. But, right. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be – I'm with you. I think if he if he says, you know, if it is player or whatever it is option that, you know, and he says I'll stick it out one more year, I think you have to make big moves in the offseason to, to keep him here and to, you know, fill, you know, fill the roster around. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with that as well. Um, I what I've read and heard a few things going on about <clears throat> he's not happy playing the four position at Indiana, um, but like I've also heard those are that's pretty much the position that he would fulfill. I think he plays a great three. I think when he matches up with LeBron, he's a great three matchup with him. I don't think he's a good four in a lot of uh, systems. So <clears throat> I think if we if we want to make him happy, we've got to get some bigs to go with him. And we've got to get some we've got to get some point guards and scoring guards that can work around him. Now I I know that we have C.J. Miles, and I know they had a little bit of beef there at the end of the season in the playoffs with the with the last second shot and all that. But 
PG, he was a better player when Miles was on the floor. Like, his true shooting percentage went up, like, six points, and um, he just performed much better when Miles was on the floor. And I think if we can get him and Miles on the floor at the same time with some other key components around them, like maybe a couple of bigs, and if if we can keep Teague, I, I, I like Teague. I don't think that there's going to be anyone available that's much better than Teague. Um, so I think if we keep Teague, keep Miles, and, and kind of fulfill him with fulfill the roster with a few bigs that could be consistent in, in helping and free up that four spot or that three spot for Paul George to play, I, I think we could make him happy and be consistent, consistently competitive in the East. Right, absolutely. I agree with that. And this thing you got to look at too, you know, you're talking about C.J. Miles making him, you know, C.J. Miles didn't con- contribute a whole bunch of points. I mean, I think he had, what, four or five or six or whatever in the last game. But I do know for a fact that you look at the at the top starting, you know, the starting five for Indiana, and it's all a well-balanced starting five. I mean, you know, you got Young and Teague, you know, and, and George didn't have, a you know, an outstanding game last week or uh, last game. But, you know, they were all in the, the – the 13 to 15 point range and and i mean turner put up 20 right and you know stevenson come off the bench and put up 22 so there's people around him that are scoring i just think you know durant had westbrook at okc before he left and i think like that's as bad as a comparison as that may sound but paul george needs a westbrook style player that makes him better not necessarily by you know by scoring the ball Right. And, I mean, where do you, where do you find that? You know, you're talking about Paul playing a playing a four. I think he's a you know he's the type of player you could stick in any position and make an impact on the game. But at the same time, I'm with you. They gotta. I think if he, I don't know if he plays a smaller position. I think he's more versatile as what he can do with the ball and what you know. So I don't know. I mean, that's that's a the thing. They have to do something. Where it is at, I don't know. You know, like we talked about getting a number for two guy. I agree with that, but at the same time, I mean, I just you, you can beat the drum as much as you want by saying this, but they keep getting bad draws. I mean, if if they don't draw the Cavs and LeBron, you know, we don't even have this conversation because they're moving on. You know, so that that may be something to look at too. Maybe yeah. a better season during the season. I don't know. I mean, if we would have got this, if the Cleveland Cavs would have got the first seed and Boston gets the second seed. We're sitting at two and two and still playing next weekend. Right. That's exactly right. Or tomorrow, whatever it is. You but say that all day. Well, yeah. And then they're, you know, they're, they should have had at least two of the games. I mean, the Cavs didn't even come in and, and now granted, I know the Pacers gave up 25 points, you know, in, in the second half of the game the game before, but at the same time, the Cavs never really pounded Indiana. I mean, it was all winnable. It was all, you know, one shot. I don't know. I think you got to – I don't know. I mean, you, I mean, they were there. They were there the whole time. It just – something, they just can't put it away. I mean, 25 – how do you give up 25 
points. Yeah, that that was ridiculous. That game, th- the game I watched Thursday, it was just like, for real? Like, this is really what we're going to do? We're going to go down. And I knew after we gave up that lead, I was like, there's no point in watching the next game because we're going to get swept. There's no heart out there. And, yep, and I, exactly right. I look back to those teams where we played um, – Miami in the finals a couple uh, years back. And we had, I know we've talked about this in the past, but we had Stevenson the first time. We had Paul George. We had uh, Hibbert. You know, some of those guys, they weren't world beaters. Now, Hibbert was an all-star that, you know, in that time. But I think, and, you know, Danny Granger, those type of guys, I think what we're missing from this team is a, we don't need another guard because when you start looking at all-star caliber guards, what do they all want to do? They want to score the ball. I don't think that's the kind of role player or the kind of role we need a two-person to kind of step in and fulfill around Paul George. I think he needs to get a big who can put back shots, who can um, bang down low, play the in-and-out game, um, run the two-man game with Paul, and I don't know who is available that we can get to fulfill that role. Now, granted, we've got some bigs, but I just don't think that they're the type of bigs that can that can fulfill that type of void that we're missing. Now, is Miles Turner that kind of person? I don't know. Maybe if he puts in some work this summer, him and Paul George, you know, kind of work out together and make it happen. Maybe that could be a a thing. But for us to go out and get a free agent or to make a trade for somebody that can be that caliber of person, you know, already, I just don't see who we can go after. Yeah, I don't. That's that's what's. You know, that's the missing puzzle piece, the missing link. I mean, does he – I mean, I don't, I don't know. Just like we talked about how Paul George is the type of player you can build a championship team around. Right. You know, we agree to that thing, but at the same time, it hasn't happened. So, right. I mean, why, why wouldn't he go try somewhere else and, and push his luck somewhere else to go, you know, to, to play closer to home and, and to possibly build a team around yourself, you know. So – I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds, but you can't blame him. I mean, if he wants to leave, but I don't know. He hates him go. Yeah. Well, I know that there's a reporter from the USA Today, Sam Amick, and he said that Paul George is hell-bent on going to join the Lakers when he becomes a free agent. And, you know, Magic Johnson was on the Jimmy Kimmel live show uh, saying that he's going to go after Paul and um, you know, kind of wink at him and let him know what that means. But at the same time, so, you know, we look at what the Lakers have to offer. Now, they have some young talent. They have D'Angelo Russell. They have Julius Randle. They have Brandon Ingram. Those are some big names, but it's, what have they done lately? Now, granted, you could say, oh, they're young and they're on a rebuilding team. Well, guess what? That's three superstar names you know i mean they're not superstar quality players right this right now but those are three big heavy hitter names and if you throw paul george in there 
are you going to have turmoil where D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle and Brandon Ingram are kind of, well, I'm going to be the ultimate scorer. And, you know, that's Paul George's. That's his role. That's what he's going to do. So does he fit there? You know, I mean, looking at that roster, yeah, if you if you look at those four names together and they can mesh well together, they're talented enough to win. But I just don't see someone coming from uh, the mentality that D'Angelo Russell has or the mentality that Julius Randle and Brandon Ingram have to where they're going to be kind of the backseat guys to Paul George. Now, granted, it worked at Miami with the big, you know, the big three with, Wade and Bosch and LeBron, but Wade and Bosch were close friends with LeBron and they were ready to, you know, kind of step back and let him shine. I don't know if these guys are, are kind of wanting to fulfill that role. I mean, maybe they are, maybe they've talked about it, but when you get that much star power in one area, there's bound to be some turmoil, especially where there's been heated, uh, situations in that locker room already in the past i mean d'angelo russell doesn't have exactly a clear track record at la right so that's I, exactly right and I, that's the thing is paul the type of guy you bring in to to make those younger players mesh and and to to you know put that Put that missing piece in. I mean, look at the Lakers. They're struggling. And they're – I think it would be a huge pickup for them. And I think it would be, you know, just the type of push maybe they need. And, you know, I think Paul George would be the type of guy that would go out there and just be a leader right off the bat and just kind of control the game and and have, you know, younger up-and-comers that are, that are going to feed him the ball. So, I don't know. I mean, he's not winning championships in Indianapolis. So, you know, he might as well go closer home and not win championships so, you know I don't, I don't know i don't it'll be interesting yeah and it just makes you wonder like they, they've they've put some pieces into place like the magic johnson in the front office um i want you know you just kind of wonder are these all strategic moves to try to get a big home run sign like paul george i mean it all sources point to yes so i mean have we seen the last of PG in Indiana? It's very possible. I think we talk about this in October, and we're very nervous about losing our all-star. So if I'm Larry Bird, I'm kind of walking on eggshells trying to figure out what I can get to kind of keep our guy here. And at this point, it just kind of seems like it's it's already coming on. It's a done deal. Minds are made up, and maybe you should have tried to move him whenever you had a chance and actually get something for him because now it's looking like it's just he's walking out the door and nothing in return. Right. Now, okay. Play this scenario. Let's say you know George is gone and. You know who's who's the next man up or who's the next man in? I mean, look at the roster. I mean, it just it doesn't look promising. You know, so I think if George leaves, they have to make a big time move to 
get a player that is, is you know of equal talent or if not better and you know what kind of big talent name is going to want to come to Indianapolis right you know and be put through the same same stuff that Paul George just put through and not win a championship so I think you know, it would be a bad situation if he did leave I and that's kind of what I was hinting at you know about making a move for him. If you made a move with Boston back before the trade deadline, you could be looking at a first-round draft pick to where you could go out and get someone that could be that program turnaround kind of guy. But, you know, that's in the past and it didn't happen, so now we just have to think about, all right, he's, he's probably... Either we've got to make a move now to try to get some people to put around him, or he's walking out that door. And if he decides to walk out the door, there's not much Larry Bird can do about it. And you're right. It's just back to the drawing board. Who do we go after? Who do we get? Um, I know we've kind of hinted at uh, getting with some of the Zellers back up here. Maybe a Tyler Zeller, you could go after him. I mean, he's there in Boston. They've talked about waving him to free up some space, and that would be a first person I would go after. He's not going to be, you know, a double-double, average 18 points or whatever it is kind of guy, but he's a, a guy that will go down low, and he'll he'll bang out some rebounds and putbacks and give you a spark, and maybe that's kind of what – a Teague and a Miles and, you know, some of these other guys need. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, not saying it'd be a bad chance, but, I mean, he's not doing much at Boston. I mean, I think they even put him in a game where, you know, they were trying to out-rebound Houston. And, and, like, I mean, he doesn't do much. And not saying take anything away from him, he's a good, good player, but, you know, it's like, go get somebody that has potential. You know, go get, you know, go get Tyler. You're not going to get Cody. Cody's not going anywhere. Right. You know, so so go get Tyler, an Indiana guy. You know, that I could see him wanting to come back to the States. And oh, hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, be, being on a team that is, is not, not as good or not as great or has the potential – that Boston has, why not come back and maybe be the star? Maybe be in a star ring five slot. I mean, go out. I don't think you've got to break the bank to get somebody like that. But at the same yeah. time, um, you're gonna to have to pay a little bit. You know, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to dust off some of the money to get a player like that. But but a lot I mean, of cap space frees up. I mean, hustles, he's big. A lot of cap space right. frees up if Paul George walks. Right. Absolutely. But that's that's kind of a, a cap space problem you you don't want to deal with. You don't you think Cody Zeller could step in and, or not Cody Tyler could step in and and be a replacement for Paul George? I mean, not taking anything away from Tyler, but that's not going to happen. Not yet, not yet anyway. Right? Give him, no, give him give him maybe a few years of of solid play, but you know, it just not going to happen at all. Now, let me let me hint at this. Okay, so. Let's say Paul George has kind of had this mentality for a couple of years now because Danny Granger has come out and said, you know, Paul George was no, he, he was no, led no secrets that he wanted to go play at L.A. So if I'm in a locker room, 
with a with a guy who's an all star, and he's verbally saying he wants to leave and go play with the Lakers. Is that going to make you want to play with that guy? That's what I'm getting at. Is it? Is he? You know, is this really happening though? Is any player like? Are you going to be at your job no matter what your your job is before you even have another job and be like, I want to quit and go work here. You know, right? Oh, now granted, these are totally different jobs than what me and you face every day. You know, they're they're multimillionaires, but at the same time, if he has any interest in playing basketball, you know, he's. I don't think he's gonna be like, I'm going to I'm going to L.A. I'm going to or wherever because what you know what if L.A. doesn't. Not that L.A. wouldn't want Paul George, but what you know what if something happens that they don't? You know, I just I I. Unless, you know, they've quoted him, I could be wrong, maybe I haven't heard the source or whatever. And maybe he has said this stuff, but I just, I could just find it hard to believe unless a guy's just completely fed up, like, I'm done, you know, F this city and this team, I'm gone, no matter where I go. Then I can see maybe something like that being said, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I just can't that. imagine, like, you're trying to win games you're, you know, you're going out there, you're grinding every day, and then in the locker room you hear your star player, man, I can't wait to get to L.A., man, pack my bags, I'm going purple and gold, let's go. I don't want to play with that dude. <laughs> yeah. right. And then you're right. C.J. Miles, and you, I mean, that's, that's... you know, and then here you are, you're C.J. Miles, and in the finals you have the chance to, to take the lead in game one, and your teammate, brother quote unquote is saying i should have been the one to take that shot well what that that would rub me the wrong way and so first you know my first point about that is you don't want to play with somebody like that second point if dude's shooting and scoring all the points how do you know a cj miles or uh teague jeff teague how do you know they're not take over the game kind of guys, studs, that if you put the ball in their hand, they're going to put up 20. You know, if the ball's always in his hand and, and he's doing all the shooting, maybe we do have some some all-star guys and it's just we've never given them the chance or he's never given them the chance because the minute they try to shoot those last-second shots or those important shots, he beats them down like, oh, no, that's my shot, man. You don't shoot that. You know, I could see that in practice. You run right. a scenario setting right. in a... Let's think about this. Go ahead. That, that game, the, the shot, the last second shot that was taken in what, the, been the second game, I believe it was, uh, anybody, anybody on that team could have made that shot at any given time. It was a good shot. It just did not fall in. It right. That, that was the Pacers season summed up in one shot right there. It just did not fall in, and it just the you know to come out and say that ball needs to be in Paul George's hands. Obviously, you know we talked about that too. George is bringing the ball down the court. Obviously, it's not meant for him to have the last second shot, unless they're just going with the flow of the offense, the defense. We're going to see what happens. Take it, you know, one on one. But once the man is doubled, like we talked about, he's double teamed, and they they should have known it was going to happen. You know, we would rather want a a mediocre or low percentage guy taking a, a high percentage shot compared to, you know, a high percentage guy taking the shot and, and have 
having a better chance of making it. Why not? So, you know, like we said, too, that it was the coaching and this and that. But to come out and say, like, oh, I need to take that shot. That's me. That's that's Paul George's ball. Blah, blah, blah. They're all professionals. And at any given day, like, that dude could go to practice tomorrow or go to a gym anywhere and probably hit nine out of ten of those shots. Right. So, you know, it just – you can't – I, I mean, I understand. I think it's bullshit that, that was said, but at the same time, it's like, get off that. Like, that dude needs to realize that anybody on that team at any time could hit that shot. Right. Well, let's look. That was, that was the, what, game one. And he comes out and makes that statement. Was it one or two? Yeah, I couldn't remember which one it was. So, yeah. he comes out and makes that statement at game one. Game two, they come out and get busted. Well, that would, I mean, that just kind of shows, goes to show what kind of mentality that puts your teammates in when you talk bad about him like that. Not only is he talking bad about CJ Miles in that situation, he's talking about every other person on that roster. Because he just said, that ball should have been in my hands. He didn't say, oh, we should have got it to a different person in a better spot. He said, no. And that was a good shot. We all agreed on that. That was a good shot. It just, like you said, didn't bounce the right way. So you're telling your team, no matter what, if I'm double teamed and I'm and and we have a good shot open, I should still have the ball in my hand. I should be the one to shoot it. And that just tells your teammates, like, you have no confidence in us. Why are we going to come out here and play in this second game? And they didn't. Then the third game, I think they came out and played a little bit better. And then the fourth game, they had them – or the third game, they, they played a lot better. They had them down 25 at half, and then they came back and beat them. And then I didn't watch the game this weekend. I was a little busy winning some of my own games. Yeah. But uh, they uh, – it was another close game. And, you know, I've heard some controversy of LeBron traveling, blah, 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 all this and that. But – so they were competitive all except for one game, and that was the game after he came out and bashes his teammates, saying, oh, that should have been in, ball should have been in my hands. Well, all your teammates are just kind of down at that point now. You've killed morale. So is that the type of person that he's been his entire career? Is this So what I'm, what I'm getting at is maybe we get rid of – maybe he – Decides to leave. Now, granted, I don't want to see him leave because he's a hell of a basketball player. But if he does, maybe we already have the pieces set in place and they're just ready to step up and fulfill the role that they know that they're capable of doing that they've been suppressed into not doing. Right. And, uh, you know, here's something to think about, too. And you can take it, you know, one of two ways. But in, in his quote, that press conference, he says right here that. He says, I'm confident in all my guys taking shots. That's not the issue. But in that situation like that, I've got to get that. Okay, well, first off, like, I, I mean, you can take that one of two ways. Either maybe the dude's just not good with words, and maybe he's a leader saying, you know, I don't want that on anybody's shoulder. But, you know, else's shoulders. But at the same time, why don't you come out and say, hey, it was a great shot. I would have said taking that same shot it just didn't fall no big deal we'll get him next time right like if, if you look at what westbrook said to that reporter at the post game about how <laughs> he was asking 
what's his name about yeah how it you know what affects him when Westbrook goes off the court and not that good and the dude steps up and he's like Westbrook's like you know next question he's like that's not even a legit question he's like we're a team I just think Paul George could have said it a little bit differently and I'm not like I understand it's it kind of shook the team a little bit but everybody on here that you read any article oh well Paul George is right he's the highest paid on the roster he's this and that and it's like, okay, that may be, but at the same time, it's like those dudes out there, if they cannot hit a shot, they should not even be out there to begin with. So, right. you know, you got to have faith in your, your other team, too. Maybe that's why they kept getting beat. Maybe that's, you know, one guy can't do it all, you know, unless you're LeBron James, and then you, know, you can't you can't stop that man. But, yeah, I, I don't know. And you can you can look, look into that, you know, whatever way you want to look into it, but – I definitely think he should have come out and been like, hey, not a big deal. Yeah. It's a high percentage shot, you know. But, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't like it. It, it could have it um, been handled differently. You're have to I, your players. I 100% agree with Absolutely. that. Um, so. Well, uh, that's enough about a team that's no longer playing. Let's transition into rundown point number yeah. two. Uh, with the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls, they're tied up two to two. Now, I believe the last time we had a podcast, we said, "I think it was my final thought." I think I said, uh, "The Celtics better get their head out of their ass, or they're going to get swept." And I guess they listened. I'm accrediting that to the Boston Celtics. Listen to our podcast. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's I, uh, that's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah, I mean, I I, I second that motion. I uh, I seen Marcus Smart on the sideline the other day with headphones off, so <laughs> maybe he was listening to the podcast. I mean, who knows? But yeah, I'd say more of it kind of lies on you know Thomas made a statement, you know, the post game interview or the press conference, whatever it was, that said you know mentally, you know mentally he's he's still not there and was talking about how his team. His team was picking him up, and he's just kind of playing off of. Here's a quote right here. It says, yeah, quote, mentally, emotionally, I'm not here, so I just feed off what the guys give me. So, I mean, yeah, I believe that in a way, but I don't believe that because they weren't there the first two games. You know what I mean? They weren't. Yeah. Now, granted, I think I think Thomas is starting to get his, his legs back under him, and I think uh, – what we're probably about to see is, and you know, we can we can assume all day long we didn't go through that. We don't know, but at the same time, like here they come. I mean, I don't think Boston's going to be stopped. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I I think the Bulls were playing out of their ass. If they, if that makes yeah any sense, I were they were playing like probably some of the best basketball they played all year. So I I think kind of you know just. One of those things where you're like, you know, hold them up and give me a couple games and we'll get back at it. And, you know, I, th- I think here comes Isaiah Thomas. Like, going to take over now. Yeah, I mean, I know for the past couple games, Rondo's been out. So does the fact that Jerry and Grant and Michael Carter-Williams have been kind of fulfilling that role, does that – contribute to those two losses does it 
give Boston a little bit more confidence when Rondo's not on the court. I mean, you never know. But one thing I do know is this little tiff between Marcus Smart and Jimmy Butler is hilarious. I know oh, yeah. uh, Smart's come out and said that he's laughing at, at Butler. He says this this is about the Celtics versus Bulls, not Smart versus Jimmy. He's like, I'm not that type of guy. My actions, you know, my actions speak for themselves. And if he wants to find me, he knows where to find me. Like, it's pretty much calling calling out Butler. And uh, Butler kind of chirps back a little bit. And, you know, he's saying some some of his own stuff. But I think it's hilarious. And if you've seen the, the little confrontation, you know, it's one of those rivalry things that just I think this game needed. They needed somebody to step right. up and get a little they chirpy. A spark. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I know Marcus Smart had his run-ins in college. You know, I mean, he I, – I can't remember when it – what game it was, but there was an incident in the fa- – like where he kind of got chirpy with a fan and uh, said some inappropriate things. And, like, I think Boston just kind of needed that – to kind of come out, and it almost came out too late uh, in the series because you know when they when they stole game three, I was like, okay, maybe maybe they got it rolling again. Maybe maybe they're gonna start picking it up, and then this happened, and I think it's just gonna snowball into a four to two game series. I don't think. The Bulls can come back after losing two at home and get it figured out. But then again, I could be wrong. But I think what we kind of alluded to last episode was if they get those two wins in Chicago, they were going to run with it. And I I still think that holds true today. And that's the thing we talked about, too. We we thought maybe they'd get one. Yeah. Yeah. But they got them both, yeah. Like, so like, we thought maybe they, yeah, we thought they'd steal one on the road. But yeah, now sitting at two and two, and you know, it's just going back to Boston. Like I'm with you. It's just, it's, I think it's done. You know, they got what one in Boston and then one in Chicago on Friday. Yeah, so, and then if yeah, so, that would be let's see two more now for Boston. Four, sorry. Yeah, and then if they have to, they come back game seven back in Boston. I think that's how it works. It's a two-two-one-one-one series, yeah. something yeah. like that. If needed to be, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they play, you know, tomorrow at eight thirty, and I think it's a a done deal. If we win, if Boston wins tomorrow night, I think they go back to to Chicago. Maybe Chicago gives them a run at it, but if if it ends up going three-three, I think Boston definitely seals up Game Seven at home. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, this is the ultimate comeback, you know, should you ever have been down 0-2? No, but certain circumstances, you know, I mean, we talked about the, the death of Isaiah's sister and all that. Maybe it took more of a toll on him than what we, or anyone else thought. And maybe now he's kind of coming, 
come to peace with it and he's put it behind him. He's tasted the 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 victory in this series and he's ready to roll. And maybe he can bring all that in and channel it to get past Boston and or get back past Cleveland in the finals. <laughs> Right, that's exactly. I'm with you. Maybe, maybe Chicago gets one. You know, in Chicago, but that's it. I mean, there's, there's no way. I, I think Boston's back, and I think, you know, and I'm pulling for Stevens too, man. Like, yeah, understand you don't want to come to Indiana. That's fine. You know, you'll be, you'll be on the NBA one of these days. But I think they got a good pickup in Archie. But at the same time, you got to root for Stevens and, and. After what Isaiah's been through, I you know I like it, and I don't think they're they're going to get stopped by Chicago anyway. Yeah, and now I was reading an article about uh, kind of the toll that so many minutes are putting on these guys, and I was reading about the uh, the minutes that uh, Isaiah Thomas is is getting and. I wasn't so concerned about oh he's that's playing a big toll on him and he's not not going to perform. But what I wanted to look at was, or what I would took away from that was how he's just a completely different player in the fourth quarter. The dude's like he he flips a switch and he just becomes a beast in the fourth quarter. And if you watch any of their games, he and if they're ever trailing in the fourth quarter. The last 12 minutes, that's his performance time. That's where he shines. And he's averaging 25 points, 1.1 rebounds, 6.5 assists. And I would like to see a study where somebody analyzes that and breaks it down to the last 12 minutes of the game. What does he average in that last 12 minutes? Because that dude can just... 100% 100% take the game over in the fourth quarter, and it's it's amazing to, to watch. It's amazing to see. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing. I think he kind of goes into panic mode, and he's kind of like, all right, got to take this and run with it. And I think uh, that's the that's the guy you're going to get from here on out. You know what? Not right. saying this is all behind him, but at the same time, you know, he's got to – you know, I don't think you ever do. I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to put it into words, but like, he's, it's got to be. It, it's not so fresh in his mind. I get this is what I'm looking for, and he can kind of focus on basketball a little bit now. You know that I'm sure the funeral's over, and I'm sure all this is, you know, and that is over, and the, the moment of silence and, and all that stuff's over. So it's kind of like, you know, his sister would want him to to continue on. So I force. See, like, you know, they're getting out of here in two more games, and then you're going to see a Boston team explode in the next series. You know, that's my opinion. But I don't know. We'll see. It'll be fun to watch. I definitely think Isaiah Thomas is, is making his way back in to as, you know, as normal as he could possibly be in this situation. Right. Yeah. And, like, it's, I don't think it's so much that it's not on his mind. I think he just has come to peace with it, and it's one of those things that he's realizing. This is that's that's uh, a crappy situation, and I have to to deal with it. And life goes on. 
I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it, life goes on for you. I mean, you can't right. you it's can't like, sit there and dwell yeah, on the fact that her life is over. Right, and it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of come to terms with like you, you, you know, people don't have the big picture figured out, and that, that's the thing. You know, he may come to terms with is as much as what he thinks he has planned out, and he can't control it, and you know, it's, it, you got to keep on on living and you got to keep you know no matter how hard it is you know you got to keep going and, and hopefully he's he's like you're saying he's making peace with it and he's at that point so you know like i say i i, I really foresee the, you know everybody getting the, the old isaiah thomas back if not a better isaiah thomas if that makes sense yeah but now i think he has more initiative of you know to play with with yeah Exactly. Uh, I, I I hate to say it, but I agree with Pat McAfee and something that he said uh, a couple of his podcasts ago. And he said, as a pro athlete, when you have to deal with adversity or you have to deal with tragedy like this. It just kind of, you see the players have better performances because they're not so much focused on, man, this is, this is my job. This is my career. I have to do this. I have to do that. Or I am going to get cut. I'm going to get traded. I'm going to get, I'm not going to make that contract. And when something like this happens, you just kind of put that stuff that really doesn't matter in the back on the back burner you just go out and play the game that you love and realize that there's something way bigger than basketball in in this life and i think that could be could be what isaiah thomas kind of got to when i say he made peace with it like yeah you lost your sister man that's like we've said in in the past we were shocked he was even out there but maybe he's kind of getting to the point where and there's so much more that's bigger than this basketball game. Let me just go out there and do what I do. And it kind of looks like that's the mentality he's gotten to. Now, we hate it that tragedy is something that that you have to kind of go through to see that point. But maybe, I mean, you know, he's young. Maybe he has got that mentality now and he's just going to go out there and do his thing and realize that there's way more to this life than just a basketball game. And whenever you have that mentality, you know, if you lose game three and four and you get swept, who, you know, I mean, it sucks for your team. It sucks for you. But at the same time, like, you're still alive. You still get to breathe. You still get to walk another day on this earth. And, you know, maybe he just kind of came to peace with that, and now he's out there just kind of playing, just having fun, playing the game. Right. That's exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head when when you said, uh, you know, the, these NBA players and NFL players and, and any professional athlete, the sport that they're playing becomes their life. And when something tragic like this situation happens, they realize that it's not life. Like, this is just a sport. It's a game. And at the end, end of the day whether you win or lose it really does not matter like you know it's going to go down on the stats and it's going to go down as oh well 
the Pacers got swept again. And but five years from now, who the hell is going to even remember that? Right. You know, who the, you know. Besides looking back and being like, man, you remember the time Pacers got swept? Yeah. It's like you know, it's been the last six years. Like, and, come on. And so, you know, you know, it's a situation like that. When the people talk about this series between the Bulls and the Celtics, they're not going to say. Do you remember when the Bulls went, were down 2-0 and came back and won? It's going to start out by saying, do you remember when Isaiah Thomas's sister died and he went out there and played anyway and they got down 2-0 and then they came back and tied it 2-2? That's going to be it, – it, it's not going to just be about the game. Like that, st- that headline will always stick with it. And it's just – I mean, even in everyday life we get to the point where you know we're in the grind of just everyday stuff, and you got to realize this is not all it's about. Like there's something way more important out there than the job I do or the the stuff I'm doing, it, and it's eye opening. So I know we've gotten deep a few times here on this podcast, but <laughs> that's as that's about as deep as we're gonna get. And uh, let's move yeah. into our. Uh, our third point rundown here with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. retiring from the racing world. What's your thoughts on Jr. retiring? Well, I mean, it, I was shocked when I first read it, but here's the thing you have to look at. Jr. is 42 years old. Now, granted, I know when his old man passed away, he was 49. You know, so oh, there's to say maybe he could have stuck it out a few more years. But you got to think, I mean, the dude missed, I think it was like half of last season or whatever it was, if not, you know, three quarters of last season due to an injury. And it's like the, he wants to walk off on his own. Right. right. He wants to, you know, and, and, and he talks about, too, in the, in the article I was reading about how, you know, racing's in his blood. And it's like, well, look, look at that. You know, it's it's obviously racing's in his blood. He, you know, he was in his dad's shadow his whole life growing up, and the dude has been in NASCAR for the past eighteen seasons. You know, he's he's, he's forty two now. Do the math, you know. But I mean, he's not Earnhardt's not going to go down as I'd say the best NASCAR driver to ever sit in a car. But I could say you could put him up there with one of the most popular NASCAR drivers to sit in a car. And, like, there's a lot of people. Like, there were some people at work that were, you know, always talking about it, a couple guys. and Like, they were legitimately, like, crushed. Like, you know, there's people that are, like, their whole world just ended today. Because he put a tweet out this morning. Uh, it was, like, 7.30 or 7.45, something like that, whatever it was on Twitter. And all it says is, like, been up since 4. And they put some emojis. And it says, woke up, like, and he puts the nervous emoji and everybody was trying to figure out what was going on and at 9 a.m. he finally comes out and he's like hey I'm done you know and, and you know I want to be able to walk away and I want to do this and do that but I mean just the whole world was shocked and, and fans were shocked and it was but it's same time you know like I mean you were talking about earlier you can't you can't blame the dude he's been hurt you know like we talked about he did miss half of last season and and, you know, with the concussion. So, I mean, you can only take so many concussions before, you know, you start hard blinking and biting your tongue all the time. So <laughs> right. It, I don't blame. 
I don't blame the guy at all. I mean, I think it's it's great what he's done, and, and I don't think, you know, I think if his old man would not granted, okay, he can't understand all that, but if his dad was still alive to this day, I think we're we're not even talking about this. I think I think you're probably seeing one of the best NASCAR drivers. If I mean, you got to think, you know. To live in your your dad's shadow that owned the NASCAR circuit for years and years, and it's like to not have that man trackside every every Sunday or every you know Saturday whenever the race is. Or it's like I think that's a big factor, and I think it still weighs heavy on him. And it you know it's it's kind of like if if he would have had his dad, maybe we're not talking about it. You know, and obviously you play what is, and if he didn't get hurt, maybe he's still at it. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I think he's just kind of like, enough's enough. I've had fun. You know, I watch my old man die from this, and it, I want to get out, and I want to enjoy life. And, and you can't blame the guy. I mean, I know there's a lot of pissed off people, but get over it. Find somebody else to watch, you know. So, that's a good good move. Good for him, man. Get out and enjoy your money while you can still walk and talk and not bite your tongue. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I- I mean, from his first win back in 1996 at Myrtle Beach to his last win in 2016 uh, at the Toyota Care 250. I mean, that's what, 20 years in between your first and last win? And within those 20 years, he's pulled off quite a few accomplishments. I mean... In the Monster Energy Series, he ran 603 races. That's a lot of races. 603 races. Out of those 603 races, he won 26 of them. He came in the top 10 in 253 races. And he had the pole position in 13 of them. That's a pretty impressive career. You know, granted, it's probably nowhere close to what his dad could have done if he would have fulfilled his career. But, I mean, looking at those numbers, that's impressive to me. Um, And then in the Xfinity Series, uh, he ran 137 races, and he had 24 wins, 90 top 10s, and 10 poles. So this dude has some... (laughs) I hate, lack of a better word, some miles under his belt, man. <laughs> like 603. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 137. Absolutely. He's ran, and this is just yeah, in his professional absolutely. career, he's ran 740 races. And I don't even like driving 740 miles. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. I think here, here's the thing too, and, and you probably read this too if you read any articles at all. This is a big thing that stuck out. To me. I mean, Ricky Hendricks is the team owner. This sums it up right here, and this is this you know nail on the head right here is it says Dale Earnhardt Jr. retiring means that he is the one. Quote: It says you're the one. There will never be another junior, and that's true. I mean. And you think about think about the mold that that Junior comes from, and the um, I mean the pedigree, the racing pedigree that he comes from. It's like you're looking at, and granted, not maybe not as big as a legacy, but an impressive you know legacy nonetheless. You know, 
compared to his dad, maybe not as big. Like, but that's the last Earnhardt. I mean, that's the, there's not, not another. Like, it's not, you know, he is the one. I mean, it, that hits the nail on the head, and I think that pretty much sums everything up right there. No matter what you look at, no matter when his last win was or if he got hurt or where he was finishing, like, he is – I mean, that's it. You're not going to see that type of racing anymore. So I think a, a great thing, it's, you know, and I, here's another thing I want to touch on. This kind of pisses me off. And I was not going to talk about it. But everybody's saying, oh, Earnhardt's out, and, and you know, the ratings are going to drop, and, and you got to look. And here, like, okay, here's a prime example. Kyle Petty was talking about it on the – he's an analyst for NBC Sports. And – he was talking about all this backlash on Twitter when people were saying, there go the ratings for NASCAR, and, and he's like, man, you need to look. Earnhardt has been here the whole time, and the NASCAR ratings have been declining. The fan base hasn't been there as much. You know, the, the you know the, I forget what the number was in Bristol, but they didn't, you know, the, like 55 consecutive sellouts, and, and I don't think it sold out this year. Wrong on that fact, but, like, it was something. It was you know, they're, they're not putting the fan, fans in the seats as much. And, and to say that Earnhardt is going to cause that, I don't think that at all. Because there's always going to be that new up-and-comer that's going to come to the sport. But, I mean, it, you know, he summed it up right there when he said, you know, Earnhardt is the one. And, and he is. And his, you know, look at what he comes from, the family he comes from. So, I mean, cherish this because, you know, I think we got the privilege of getting, you know, witness a great thing and you know be privileged enough to watch it that you know younger generation aren't going to be able to see an Earnhardt come up through the through the ropes and, and grind and, and see what you know what we all seen so I think it's cool yeah, yeah. I don't blame the guy and I mean watching the tragedy of your father you don't want to go out that way <laughs> I mean there's there's more to race. If we were just talking about this with Isaiah Thomas, there's more to it than just racing. And he can always get back into the game as an owner. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's got more knowledge than anyone to share on the sport. And, I mean, maybe he... I don't see him being the type of personality that wants to sit in a suit and tie and analyze races. But... You know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wants to do something like that. Maybe he wants to step away from it 100% completely and just kind of enjoy his life. Um, but I don't think it's the last we see of him uh, because he is so talented. He is so knowledgeable, and, and I feel like he's got much more to add to the sport. And so I don't think we've seen the last of Junior, um, whether it's you know commercials or ad. Uh, analyzing or maybe ownership or whatever what have you but i think uh no absolutely i, I agree with he, that 100 and i think also next year uh, i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure mike probably 100 percent positive when i say this that i think i think he's uh dressing and starting for the dallas members in their first game next year. <laughs> <laughs> i could be wrong about that but i don't think i am Hey, I, uh, yeah, yeah, so. you have to. I think like that's a that's a thing. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was told. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> All right. 
Well, uh, Hilly, do you have anything left to add to uh, the Dale Earnhardt Jr. retiring of the three-point rundown? Yeah, I got I got nothing. That's all I got. I, I wish the man the best. And I don't blame him for wanting to get out and enjoy some, some time while he stopped biting his tongue. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> all right, uh, before I cue up this music, do we have a... Uh, high time with Hilly. Absolutely. I was going to say that I, I had this pick. All right. Well, hold on. Calm down a little bit. Let me uh, let me cue up the music and intro uh, it, and, and we'll get right into the, the high time with right. Hilly. So that'll bring us right in to the high time with Hilly. Because <laughs> he's I not on it, we know that. Him. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you being a coach, you can you can relate to that. But do you think? I don't care what sport you take. I don't care if you take NHL, NBA, NFL. Do you think? Let's take NCAA for instance. Same same thing. Do you think the officials, you know, the referees, need to have a more strenuous type of training? In qualification to step foot on the court or the field or the ice for that instance. Are you talking like training as in understanding the game or training as like physical training, like you've got to be able to get up and down the court, field, rink, or both? Yeah, I'm talking, I'm talking understanding. Okay, let, let me put it this way. Okay. I don't know what the qualifications are to be a referee in the NBA or the, the NFL or whatever. I'm sure you have to have an experience. I understand that. But at the same time, do you feel as there could possibly be any changes made as to the qualifications of being a certified referee? You know, we've seen the NCAA tournament be affected. You know, we, we saw one referee get death threats. And I know some of these referees are just part-time referees and they're just – you know, do, do you see or could you see a, a better way to maybe pay the refs or, you know, maybe, like I say, more certification, more anything to make the game better, no matter what sport you're even talking about? Okay. Uh, so I, I know that they're with, – even within the different conferences in Division One. Big Ten refs, ref games, completely different than SEC refs, ref games, compared to, you know, any, you know, whatever else, ACC, whatever. They're all different in how they ref the games. So, the, the biggest thing with refs is... And as a coach, this is a, an adjustment on my part that I have to do and realize real early. So if I see that refs are calling hand checks right away and we get three quick fouls, you know, in the first five minutes of the half, I'll, I'll call a timeout or I'll make a substitution and bring the guys over and be like, listen, these refs are, are calling it close. Keep your hands off. 
And then the kids are normally disciplined enough to go out there and follow orders. And then you don't have any more problems. Now that's one case scenario. Another scenario is you've got three different refs on the court with three different mindsets, and you've got one that calls touch fouls, one that lets them beat each other to a pulp, and then another one who's calling every other call. That's hard to deal with. So in my mind, I don't know if it's so much of a qualification standpoint, like, hey, you have to go to this class and this class and this class, or you have to have this many uh, games at the D2 level to get to the D1 level. I don't know if it's so much that as having guys that are compatible with each other ref a game. Now, I don't know if there's a process like that whenever you get to, like, the college or NBA, but I feel like maybe you, instead of just having, like, here's a guy, here's a guy, and here's a guy, you have refing teams, and these guys work together every game. These three guys are going to ref this game. These three guys are going to ref this game, and you never break up a team of refs. So you, I think that could be something that you could do to give refs a little bit better setup because, I mean, there may be a, a situation where you are a ref and you go to Indiana and ref a game with two guys, and then you go to Kentucky and you ref a game with two new guys. Now, there's three refs on the court, and just because one ref is terrible it could make the whole group look bad so i think maybe making a uniform team of refs and be like this group will always be together this group will always be together and then that way you know what you're getting as far as refing goes um now i don't know how other sports would work like hockey i don't know how many refs they have on the rink at a time but i i think that could be a solution um making a team of refs that'll that constantly work together and you at least have some uniformity to what you're going to get and you know I mean if they're calling it tight at least you know you're going to get that every time that you have that team of refs and you can prepare for it so that's kind of my take I don't think giving them more classes to take or more uh, books to read is going to help because it, it, refing is so much in the heat of the moment, split decision making, and it's just you. You no matter what you hear, what you see, what you do, it's gonna it's gonna be influenced on just your split decision reaction, and I don't think you can teach that. I think it's all instincts, and. I think the more consistent you consistency you have in that, the better off you are. Right. And, okay. And, and let me ask you this: in in comparison to what you're saying, like I agree with you there. I don't think you know you, you can't make a referee sit in a class. I mean, I think I think as a referee, you're probably given a rule book to be like you know holding in football is ten yards. And right. This is so so and so and. But at the same time, you you know you look at football or basketball or whatever, and even baseball to that point. If you do, you do the umpires, like maybe one day it'd be the same umpire. 
maybe a strike zone is this big compared to tomorrow it's that big. Right. Or, you know, a, a basketball referee, like, you know, lets the kids play the first half and then the set to tighten up. Like how, you know, my understanding of that, I guess, is not very good because should I, you know, should it not be a foul in the first half if it's a foul in the second half or if it wasn't a, a foul in the first half, why is it a foul in the second half type situation, you know? I've seen situations you know, where it's it it's a it foul on one end of the court and it's not a foul on the other end of the court, and that's what pisses coaches off more than anything. Like, it's one thing if you want to call it a foul, that that's completely okay. But if it's not a foul on my end, but it's a foul on their end, the exact same foul, oh, that that's something that I get. I don't get upset with refs much, but that's one thing that I do get upset about. Because it's not fair to my guy that's getting down that's down here getting beat in the face when he goes up for a shot, but my dude goes for a hand check and gets a foul call. So yeah, that's I, I've seen it to where it's not only half by half, but it's end by end, and it, it can be very frustrating. Yeah, and then this might be the the conspiracy theorist coming out a little bit you know but i don't want to sound too crazy but you know when you look at the final four you look at the national championship how much do you think is affected by the ncaa to tell these refs like hey we want a tight game we want want it to be entertaining you know let them get up and down but we want them you know i I mean how much of that stuff do they actually think goes on i i don't know if it's so much the ncaa that would tell them that but do they get together as a group before they go out on the court and, and discuss that? I think 100% absolutely that happens. Um, because I think you have to have, just as much as you have a game plan to go out as a team, you have to have a game plan. I mean, you know, like, hey, who's going to get this side? Who's going to get this side? Who's going to do tip? I, I think they do talk about that. In that big of a stage, I, I think you have to have those conversations and be like, listen, you know, we got taking the the national championship game for instance. They they say, you know, hey, we got some bigs out there. Do you guys want to let them bang a little bit, or do you want to call it tight and uh, make sure that they're not being too physical and just make sure they're all safe? I think those conversations do happen, but I don't think it's a to the uh, effect where like the NCAA is like, hey, don't call any fouls. Let them just beat each other up. I don't think that happens, but I think the referees maybe they do have that kind of that that dialogue before a game to try to get on pace with with what they're going to do. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just think that it's been a hot topic. I have a lot more of that question. I have like a whole paragraph of that question. I was going to ask Perk, but he's not. Well, we can save He's that for. Uh, to get fired up on the topic. Yeah. yeah, we can save that for. Just to touch on that, like you know, it's been a hot spot here in the NCAA in the Final Four, and it, I just think that to me, it's totally ridiculous that what happens in the first half that's not a foul happens in the second half and it is a foul. People go like, "Whoa, they're trying to tighten the game up." But no, 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 that game. Just like from the first pitch in baseball to the last pitch in the bottom of the ninth inning, the strike zone should be the strike zone all yeah. day long. You know, 
out should be an out. You know, safe should be safe the whole entire game. You know, so I think there needs to be some kind of bar set. Absolutely. As far as you need to stay on this and you need to do this, but how do you do that? Just like it's a judgment call, it's a bang bang play. You know, I think there needs to be more of going to the monitor and being like, hey, let's see if this was a foul or let's see if this was, you know, was it goal goaltending or was it, you know, and I'm sure they can look at goaltending and, and stuff like that, but I just think. The biggest I, thing is fouls. I, maybe the outcome of the national championship game would have been different. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, go back and look at fouls and see. But I, I don't know. I just well, go and, back and, and look at holds. You know, I think. Right. I forget who it was 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 saying it. Uh, you know, you could call a hold on every play in the right. NFL. Right. Absolutely. Hey, not to cut you short, are you watching this game? Houston and OKC. No, I'm not watching anything. Uh, Houston's up four with five and a half minutes to go. Might want to get it turned on. It's a pretty pretty close game. But anyway, um, yeah. So the I, th- I think it was McAfee and them talking about it. But yeah, like the hold you could call holding on every single possession. Um, but I mean, who wants to watch a game like that? And they're. The set of rules that are the the that are cut and dry, like your goaltending, your three seconds, um, traveling, for the most part, uh, you know, double dribble. Those are the type of rules that when the ref makes a call, you're like, okay, like that. That's a they broke the rule there. That's but fouls is one of the most vague in in basketball for for what I'm talking about is one of the most vague descriptions in a rule book. And it's like if there's contact, do you call it every single time? Absolutely not, because like we said with with football, if you call holding every time, it's going to be a horrible game. Nobody wants to watch it. So if you go and put your hand on somebody to do a hand check to get to like reposition yourself on defense, should it be a call every time? No. But when the guy starts to make his move to the basket and you're preventing him from scoring. Should it be a call? That's a judgment call. And I don't think, I mean, you could write your rules however you want. I don't think it'll ever be a uniform decision because to some refs it's going to be like, well, that wasn't that bad of a foul. And to others it's going to be like, you know, oh, my God, he about knocked his head off. And to the common fan you see it, and most of it has to contribute to how well the player sells it. I mean, I hate to admit it, but as a coach, in crunch time of a game, if we're up by one or two or down by one or two, and I tell my guys, if they make contact, sell it. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Because, you know, I mean, if they're, you have to kind of gauge that on how you're, how they're calling the game to begin with. Like, you don't want to flop to the point where it looks like you're, you know, getting knocked off a bike by a ghost. But at the same time... LeBron James. Exactly. Look like you got sniped out of the stands. But at the same time, like, if they're making contact enough (laughs) to influence your change of direction, yeah, I mean, you can sell it a little bit and make it a little bit more believable. And the worst thing is, like, my big... When you have bigs down low... They'll 
they'll bang on each other all night. And then down on one possession, one of the bigs will get tired and just kind of flop a little bit. And it makes it look like, you know, one of my guys just completely plowed him over when it's what they were doing all the, all night. And that's part of being having a smart basketball, you know, a high basketball IQ and, and just knowing your opponent and, and reading what they're doing. And it's hard for refs to make those calls, but I just think they have to have consistency. And I think at the higher levels, maybe the, the having a team of refs that are never split up, at least you'll know what you're getting every time. And... You know, I mean, you can change the rule book all you want. Hell, they changed it three years ago in college basketball about hand checks, and it lasted like five games, and then it was right back to the way it was. Right. That's my biggest thing. Yeah. If it's a foul on Monday, it needs to be a foul on Thursday. Yeah. I think they just get tired of blowing the whistle, and they're like, you know what? Nothing's changing. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them think they need to blow the whistle, too. If they haven't... If they haven't blown the whistle in 45 seconds, they think, ah, it's about time for a foul. Maybe, maybe we you put know, shock collars on them. And the, and the, <laughs> or put a fucking, put a time limit. And the coach has a buzzer, and if you haven't blown a whistle in 45 seconds, you get to shock him. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So. All right, well, uh, we'll save the rest of that for uh, Perk. Uh, the next podcast. So that brings us into local sports with T-Bag. All right. So I've only got a little bit of local sports here, and then I've got a story to tell about uh, this past weekend. Um, So, and and it kind of ties in with local sports. So, um, we, I kind of talked about a few weeks ago, um, about the, uh, Louisville City FC and how they had a game, a match, I guess I should say, against, um, Cincinnati, and they ended up tying that match, and, uh, their next match is April 29th, and they play here at Louisville in Slugger Field. And they'll play Toronto at 7.30. So that's this coming uh, week that they'll be playing. Um, Hopefully come out ahead on that. Uh, So, you know, a 1-1 draw is not much to to report on. But it was a a tough opponent, and uh, they knew that going in. And maybe they can, you know, keep it rolling here. And, I mean, they still, no losses. So, I mean, that's a, a, a draw is... Sometimes just as good as just as impressive as a win, you know. I mean, granted, it wasn't a shutout, but still, it's a it's a hell of a performance, and I'm trying to keep as close tabs on them as possible um, for uh, for the purpose of this podcast. But uh, also, just because it's local and kind of sparks my interest. Now, I do know that you can uh, subscribe to their YouTube channel, and they will alert you via uh, email whenever they have their live broadcast of the games. So, like, uh, if I'm shacked up in a hotel in Dallas, I can uh, get a live feed of their game and and uh, get to watch some of it. So that was kind of interesting to, to be able to do that. And You know, with smart TVs anymore, you can get right on YouTube and, 
get the get the game just like it were on you know the news. So, um, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, so I've subscribed to them on YouTube and, and get to watch some of their highlights uh, and then catch a live feed every now and then. So that's the first part of my local sports blog. The second part of my local sports blog is Perk sent out a link. I think it was Perk that sent out a link about a uh, an Indiana recruit. I think he's class of 2018, and his name's Eric Hunter. And did you read that article? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so he's a four-star guy. And um, so I start doing a little reading on him, that article Perk sent out. And I start seeing some of these familiar terms. They start talking about the Adidas Silver Gauntlet, which is the tournament that I was at this weekend, the the same one we played in. And so that made me think of a story that I was going to share with you guys. So our team plays at, at this high school down in Dallas, and... We're walking out of the gym, and I see this team from Indiana. And, you know, we're down in Dallas, so anytime I see a team around our area, I kind of want to stop and check them out just to kind of see what they've got going on, just, you know, because it's local. So this team was called the Indiana Pros, and I was watching them in the warm-ups, and this dude's dunking. He's shooting the ball really well. I'm like, man, this kid's pretty good. So I start watching a little bit more of his – warm-ups and I'm like well I'm gonna catch a couple minutes of this game now granted I'm driving a 15 passenger van so I have 15 kids sitting there waiting for me they're hungry they want to go get some food and I'm like no we're gonna watch this game a little bit and uh so we all sit down there and we're watching about two minutes of the game the kid looks solid like I don't know his name at the time you know looks real solid I'm like man that dude's that dude's good he's quick handle the ball shoot the ball so you know i was like all right i saw a couple minutes of it we can go ahead and go so we start to walk out and of course i'm the last one out of the gym you know to uh make sure all the kids get out and i walked past going out the door and walked past this probably about six five guy i look up at him matt painter you know no big deal if it would have been if it would have been somebody else, I might have, you know, went and introduced myself or whatever. So I was like, hey, there's Matt Painter. And I say something to the guys. I'm like, hey, man, there's Matt Painter. And they're like, who? You know, these are all Kentucky boys. They don't know who Purdue is. And I was like, I was like, well, they're the other university in Indiana, and he's their coach. And so, you know, I don't think much of it after that point. Well, I read this article, and they're talking about this kid. And they're saying, in attendance was... Chris Mack, Matt Painter, uh, Tom Olstrom, and Archie Miller, and Michael Lewis of Nebraska. And I was like, huh, well, maybe Painter came to see a couple of his games. So then it says the high school that they were at, which was the exact same high school that I was at where I saw Matt Painter. So I started thinking a little bit more, and I was like, damn, if I would have watched that entire game, or at least scanned the crowd, or looked for him, or known that he would have been there, I could have met IU's new coach, Archie Miller, because Archie Miller was at that gym 
same gym I was at, watching the same game that I was watching, scouting that same kid that I was like, huh, that kid's pretty good. So that's my uh, claim to fame of almost meeting Archie Miller. Now we go back to Atlanta. <laughs> we go back to Atlanta this weekend. So maybe, just maybe, I can run into him. I think by the time the summer's over, I'm gonna at least shake hands with the guy. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah. Get some autographs or, I, tickets or give him your. I'm telling you, man, the the whole podcast car deal we talked about over the weekend. I think that was that was a genius idea. Yeah, I don't I don't so much want to put my name with the. I don't so much want to put my name with the face, but I'll put a face with a business card. Yeah, there's no need to to name drop. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what. One thing about this hunter that I like in that article because I was reading that. Same article when when Perk sent it to us was he talks about the way Miller was recruiting him and about how you know he he went through a PowerPoint presentation about you know the way you know the way they played was going to play at IU the way they had played at Dayton and what he expected and, and his coaching staff and it's like this dude is legit and I remember reading that article about how it was like a fresh a fresh face to this this uh, this hunter because he was talking about how how Crean and this kind of fits Crean to a T that Crean was was kind of wishy washy yeah with the recruiting yeah and and I you wasn't how this is like a serious program now and dude I love it man if you read that article I read that article from top to bottom this hunter dude I feel like is like he's all in. He's an Indiana guy, so I I think it'd be great, you know. Well, I mean, a small school, so you and know, he, he shot fifty percent so. from three point line. So, and he's averaging twenty six points, That's shooting fifty percent behind the three point line. Like, there's a lot to say about a guy who every other shot he's throwing up from behind the arc <laughs> is going in. <laughs> So yeah, I did. I did notice that uh, where he said, you know, oh, you know, Crean was wishy washy, and and how he was. I mean, the the headlines of that article that we read was like how he's impressed, how Hunter's impressed with the the recruiting change, and I think we're gonna start to see more and more of that develop uh, as this, you know, no nonsense kind of mentality of uh, Archie comes out more and more. And we're starting to kind of see what kind of personality he has. And, you know, I mean, he, he straight up said, and so far what he's said is what he's done. You know, we're looking to recruit inside out. That's an IU guy. I mean, that's an Indiana guy. He went to Dallas to see, you know, I mean, everybody was at Dallas to see Romeo Langford. Not going to lie. I mean, the right. the line to get in that place was like three miles long. So everybody wants to go see that. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so everybody wants to Except go see Roy him. Williams. I, don't, I don't think Williams was there. I think it was an assistant, wasn't it? Yeah, he, so North Carolina had an assistant. I think Shasef, uh I can't say. Coach K was there. Uh, I see one of my players sent me a Snapchat of Archie being there. And so uh, there were some people in attendance, but 
Everybody wanted to see him just as, for the sake of seeing him. But the fact that he not only went and saw him, but he right. comes over to the Silver Gauntlet and sees this four-star guy, like, yeah, you're not going to sign every five-star guy you go after. You have to have some counterbalance. Right. And, and for him to put in that, that footwork on his own, that's, yeah. that's huge. Now, if he shows up in Atlanta, right. that's dedication. Because that's two weekends in a row where the dude's out hot on the trail. And if I'm Archie Miller, I go to Atlanta. I, I'm at Atlanta, and I'm at both of those guys' games again. Because is Coach K going to go to both? I don't know. You know, and so if I'm the new guy on on the trail and I'm wanting to make a difference, I'm going to be at every single thing this summer. And I think he's doing it right. And, you know, I mean, he, he's, yeah, he's, he'll be there. he's getting to, to the grind. I mean, he's, he's getting it done. There. Right. I yeah. mean, look at, okay, this is what, this is me off. Oh, I, I listened to another podcast the other day and I had a guy I understand he's like a color guy I get it not colored like he's, <laughs> like he's a little guy okay let's, we're not trying know. to discriminate I, here I, I got called racist at work because yeah I got called racist because I said something about me not going to the White House when Obama was in there but anyway <laughs> this dude was like no matter what you said he had to be against it so no, what was said was he said he goes you know, as you Indiana fans know, you guys just need to calm down because you, I forget how he said it. You're not going to score Romeo Langford. And if you don't, that's okay. He's saying you, you guys just don't need to worry about it. You just need to trust Archie and not burn the whole bill. I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, if anybody's got a chance, this dude being at all his AAU things and all his, like, that speaks volumes. And, and, and that's the thing. I If he's not in Atlanta, I'm going to be surprised because Archie's hungry and he wants to own the state. And I honestly believe that with his knowledge of basketball and his work, work ethic and who he's got surrounding him, I honestly see, you know, think that we're going to see that in the future. I'll tell you what. If Archie's not at Atlanta, I'm bringing an IU polo and I'm walking up there and I'm going to be like, tell everybody, yeah. I'm Archie's seventh <laughs> member of the staff, man. I, I, I'm the new scouting talent and recruiter. <laughs> Dude, you can pass out those podcast cards and people be thinking they're your business card. Like, here, man, hit me up. Let yeah. me know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> Just have them listen to the podcast. All, yeah. All for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm telling you that. So, mark my words if Archie doesn't show up to Atlanta, I'll bring me an IU polo. And I'll throw it on, and I'll head over to Lake Point or Lakeside, whatever that place is called, uh, facility, and, and I'll go scout his game. That way, everybody will you see. You'll, you'll see my face all over Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Are <laughs> you? Was that, was that Romeo's game? And you're like, no, that's just my co-host. <laughs> Hey, he's a like, big dude, man. I didn't realize how big Painter was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looks like a big dude. But, okay, here's my question. Uh, I know Atlanta's not as far as Dallas, but you guys uh, you guys leaving again on Thursday, Thursday evening? Yeah. 
No, 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 no. Friday. Friday. Okay, you have to. You don't. You don't play Friday night. Yeah, we do. Right. We do play Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is going to be different when like school lets out, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the the schedule type will be about the same, but yeah. So I think well, I mean, as far as being able to leave, like if if you guys, like to me, and you know better than I do, but do you not think it would have increased your odds a little bit to? I understand they couldn't miss school, but to maybe leave a day earlier and get down there and have a day just to kick back and relax before oh, you had to play. Absolutely, and yeah. And I know, I mean, the kids slept probably eight hours out of the 13-hour trip. But eight hours in a van is way different than eight hours in a bed. <laughs> yeah. And to be... When you text me at like 4.30, and I was like, man, you made it to Dallas yet? You're like, no. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> yeah, not even in Texas. Son of a bitch, man. Yeah. No. Uh oh. Yeah, I don't ever want to go until I'm sure that they'll have the same tournament in Dallas next year. But I don't ever want to drive back to Dallas. If anybody says, "Hey, Hilly, I've got a a free room for you for a week if you drive down to Dallas," just say, "Uh, "No, I'm good." Worst drive ever. Like you, you think 13 hours is a long time until you are. In a van, like it, that's eternity. I had one hour rest, the whole thirteen hour drive. I got, I got, I got in the other car to rest, and the guys like, uh, first of all, I'm like, man, I better get at least a couple hours of sleep. The other driver's like, well, I need somebody to talk to, so I don't fall asleep. I'm like, fuck, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> then, then after an right. <laughs> And then uh, about an hour later, dude's over there on the rumble strips and calls us, and he's like, I think I need a break. We're like, yeah, you're probably right. I was like, I can do it. I was like, I'll take one for the team. Man, I tell you what, when you see a sunset, a sunrise, all in one car trip, that's a bad car trip. Hands down. I guarantee. And the worst thing... Oh yeah, and then you see another sunset, sunrise, and then you. I got home at five thirty. I get home at five thirty. You know what time my son usually starts waking up? <laughs> About five thirty-five. <laughs> I I get in bed. the The oh, dog geez. has to go pee. My son's waking up. I'm like, ah, this is horrible. <laughs> and I woke up at seven, went to work, man, and it was, ah, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. But I guarantee it been moved. In Mr. Beckles class. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I fucking went at it, man. I was hardcore. Yeah, I I <laughs> I got home from work and I fell right asleep and then we went out to eat and went to the grocery and I was like, I need to go back to sleep. I was like, screw this podcast. I ain't even texting these guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, we're wrapping this up around an hour and a half. Hilly, uh, you got your final thoughts for the evening? 
Yeah, final thoughts. If you're going to claim to be an IU fan, don't be a little bitch and bitch about everything they do in the offseason, like the type of music they put to their videos that they put on Facebook. If you're going <laughs> to bitch about it, just shut the hell up about it. All right, all right. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, my advice. If you're ever going to travel to Dallas, don't do it. Fly. Fly. <laughs> It's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever the tick, whatever the airline price is, it's well worth it. Well worth it. (laughs) Budget it in. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up this episode with Hilly and T. Sports more with Hilly and T. Bag. We'll catch you next time.